Welcome everyone to the second episode. <clears throat> My name is Yasmin and I'm a part of the event team making this event happen. And I'm also a member of a Swedish organization called JCI Uppsala, which together with our friends at JCI Stockholm has initiated this project with the aim, of course, to increase mental health awareness. This is because we believe that <clears throat> this information needs to get out there more so than ever. And it's important to not stay silent. So to tell a little bit about who we are behind the scenes, we are members of JCI and it's not only based in Sweden. It is short for Junior Chamber International. And as it sounds, it's an international organization which invests in the young of many parts of the world who have the ambition to become future leaders, whatever that means for the individual. It's a community worldwide leading different trainings, uh, projects as this one, and a lot of other activities that will encourage and train members into becoming better leaders of tomorrow. And of course, we don't have to wait till tomorrow, whatever that means, we do things like this, this webinar, now hoping it to have a positive impact and also at the same time growing as leaders as we do it and having the courage to do it also. And this organization kind of has our back in doing these kind of activities and projects and doesn't make it so scary and serious as it could be if you would be maybe completely alone. Uh, we as a community hope that this leads as members to make a positive impact, not only wanting to and execute it in tangible ways within JCI, but also by simultaneously becoming a better version of ourselves in everyday life, like maybe developing as a truer version, uh, which could have a ripple effect on our careers, uh, as a friend, as a family member, um, etc. Anyway, we as a team in Uppsala and Stockholm have worked really hard to realize this webinar uh, series because we believe that this could have a positive impact, as said, if we share it with you. And hopefully you will share it with someone close to you. I hope that you will enjoy this episode for the rest of 45 minutes and mostly that it will leave you inspired and make you reflect on what was said today afterwards. Maybe it might shift, shift your perspective on things you knew already. Thank you and I will now give the word to the main initiator of this webinar who contacted me and who I had the privilege to join to make this happen. Mario, please tell us more about what to expect from the following hour. Hi, Yasmin, thank you. Thank you very much and uh, welcome and hello to everyone. Uh, well, my name is Mario, as mentioned, and I'm a member of JCI Stockholm. Uh, we're doing this coordinated between Stockholm and Uppsala. And uh, this is an initiative from JCI that is called RISE because it's a time to rise from what was 2020 for all of us. Um, every person was hit differently uh, uh, in this year and everything of course depends on where are you living and which, uh, which of your close people uh, were more affected in, and in which way or even yourself. Uh, but in general, 
uh, we understand that or we know that people lost their jobs, um, their hobbies, their close friends, um, maybe maybe just by arguments, maybe in a worse way. Um, but now that now that the society is opening again, we can find out that uh, well, there is a certain PTSD out there uh, of what the last year was. And even if one feels that was not directly affected by this, um, there is a mental health world uh, report that was uh, delivered on 2020, uh, and which is definitely not the best picture right now. And it's mentioning that this specific, this specific topic of mental health is going to become more and more important as we, as we go forward. And not to say that it was not important before, just saying that it's just going to become more and more visible to the eyes of the people that didn't know that it was there. Maybe similar to what happens with other, with other uh, illnesses that people didn't know that existed, but now they are more and more common to find out. Um, looking at this, we decided to create, to create this series of webinars, which is called Dark Night of the Mind. And the premise is simple. We're going to approach three people um, from uh, three people that have had their mental health affected in different ways. Their point of view is us from a professional, from a person that has been affected, and from a loved one that has had someone affected by mental health uh, uh, illnesses. Uh, we have had already our first uh, um, episode that was quite good for, uh, uh, for understanding the technical part of this. However, in this second episode, we are very happy to have Steve Lawler. Uh, Steve is a mental health uh, lawyer that has more than 10 years of experience in the UK, uh, being a mental health advocate also by night. He's actively trying to reduce the stigma on mental health and normalizing the conversation uh, through his global podcast, which is called Legal Wolf. And today he's here to tell us a little more about himself and his work because as I said, this episode is for someone that has been affected or diagnosed with a mental health illness, but we want to also uh, have a little tweak and adding the specific male mental health context. Um, I want to remember to everyone to close your microphones, as just been mentioned, and cameras, and the comments are open. And now without further ado, well, let's just welcome Steve to this webinar. I think to start this interview, uh, we can we can talk a little maybe about uh, what is your journey, Steve? Why, why are you here? What do you have to tell us? Okay, well, thank you for having me, first of all, both Mario and Yasmin. Um, so my journey, yeah, I started to suffer with chronic anxiety when I was at university, um, studying my LLB law degree. And at some stages throughout studying my law degree, there were times whereby it was extremely difficult to get out of bed. Um, I also had a, a bereavement of a close family member. Uh, my grandmother, who was very close to me, she lived with, with me for as long as I can remember. That hit me hard and obviously took a toll on my own mental health as well. And then when I was training to become a lawyer, so when I obtained a training contract, uh, there was a period of around six months whereby I was doing family law, which 
I am very open in the sense that I hated family law, didn't like it at all, not for me. But because of the workplace culture being within a law firm, I didn't feel as if I could speak out about my anxiety and my depression whilst there, which led to me having thoughts for a good six months of when I was driving into work, wanting to crash my car to prevent me from getting to work. Um, which, looking back now, I can probably laugh about it in a weird sense because of the journey that I've been through that I've grown as a person throughout and now I know because I've developed the tools over the years and how to manage my anxiety manage my stresses by breaking things down into more um, doable chunks rather than looking at the whole thing and being freaked out and stressed out by it. If I break it down into simple steps, it's far easier for me to manage, which you would probably think that that is a logical and a relatively simple thing to do. But for me at that particular moment in my life, it was very difficult for me to comprehend. Um, so obviously, now I, I practice in mental health law. Is that coincidence? Is that fate? I've, I've got no idea. Um, but being a mental health lawyer, you look at mental health in a different light. You see how people are stigmatised when they're in a the hospital. You see how the way they're treated. Um, and it, it, it makes you think in, in, in terms of what, I can offer back to society being in that role and you represent the most vulnerable people in society who are detained under the Mental Health Act in England and you can advocate for them to either be discharged or to be a voluntary patient so they're treated in the least restrictive way and that is arguably the most rewarding part of the, the job being able to see a person who is at their lowest progress and achieve their fullest potential and at times with my journey and my low points you do in some instances see yourself in the individual that you're representing um, so yeah that's a bit of my backstory and the job that I do and then obviously on top of that there's the Legal Wolf podcast which has just gone insane yeah. um, I can't quite describe how how well that's gone it's 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 blown my mind quite literally yeah i mean it's really cool that's how you and i connected i yeah. found me on linkedin and became a guest on your show and it's just been growing i mean i've followed you since since then since march is it so uh, yeah. yeah very very cool what, uh, what I think that's very interesting that you are, I mean, taking in account the topic, I think it's very interesting that you are in this specific area, Steve, and we have been discussing before also, like, um, you, I mean, many people, right, but I mean, you specifically, probably me as well, we are in very, uh, uh, in very male-dominated areas in terms of, uh, well, it's more, it's more men that, that uh, uh, try to work in, in these areas than, than women, right? And that provides certain culture and certain environments 
uh, how how do you see that in the in the way that you work? Because in your case, I think that you are working in yeah in a male dominated area, but about with with vulnerable people with vulnerable people that maybe this takes a little different sense of how the practice is, right? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, law in itself. Yeah is male dominated, but I think that's starting to change in the last few years. There's there's more women going to law school, there's more women who want to enter the law. And I don't think it's as imbalanced as what it used to be. <clears throat> I mean, pr probably 20 years ago, you would probably say it was 80-20 in favor of men. Now it's probably more 60-40 in favor of men, because more women are coming into the field. Now, in, in mental health law, there's, there's not many lawyers who do mental health because it's a very niche area of law and it's not widely advertised at universities as a topic to study. But you would think because of the nature of it being mental health law, there would be more women involved because they are deemed another trademark stereotype they are deemed to have more empathy than a male. Mm -hmm. But there's more men that do mental health law than women. And clients tend to... So, for instance, it's really weird. If, if you have an Asian who's detained under the Mental Health Act, they won't necessarily go for another Asian. They will go for a white male because they would trust a white male more right. than someone of, of their own skin colour which I find rather strange. Is there an explanation behind that or it just I happens? I think it just depends on the individual. Yeah. Um, one, one, one might be paranoid about other Asians and they don't want an Asian solicitor, which might be another reason. Um, but I'd, I'd say the majority of mental health lawyers are probably male which with the various stereotypes of, particularly within mental health law, you have to show that level of empathy and that level of understanding. You would automatically assume that there would be females. Right. But there, there tend to be more males, well, from my experience anyway, that, that do that. Would you say, I mean, obviously you might not know all the mental health lawyers out there like you're a community but would you say like your colleagues in that field can have had an experience themselves like you know uh, you know it becomes more of a calling and I'm thinking like maybe now I'm putting words in your mouth but uh, maybe you've uh, grown more empathy uh, towards your patients, which not patients or clients, because of your own experience, would you say that? Yeah, I'd say I've got more understanding. Um, if if there is a fine line in terms of being too emotionally involved with a client and their case and trying to detach yourself from it. So it's getting that fine balance because the stuff that we read in reports in terms of there's a lot of self-harming, there's a lot of abuse, you have to switch yourself off from that and kind of treat it just as 
you are there to do a job. You are there to to de determine whether or not this person still needs to be detained under the, me the Mental Health Act. Um, do I think that some people go into it because they have a calling? I, I don't think they do. I think a lot of people fall into the area of mental health law because it's not widely advertised. I mean, I fell into it because I didn't realise it existed. Uh, All right. Until I, yeah, yeah. Like, until oh, this I sounds was, new. This sounds unique. Yeah. Let's try it. Yeah, yeah. and mm, so it's, it's brilliant. No, no one day is the same. You you learn people skills, you learn communication skills because you you have to talk differently to each client that, that you have. One has schizophrenia, one has bipolar, one has autism, one has a learning disability. You have to change the way you talk to each individual person. I feel like it's, as you say, this somehow kind of was fate, like it kind of happened. It, it, there's no connection to your own experience. Uh, but I find it intriguing because you're a part of now the mental advocate movement. And would you say that your profession has aided you in, in, in this, like this, um, uh, yeah, exactly, the movement that you're, that you're in? Uh, um, I, no, I, I think it's just been off my own back, wanting to advocate in order for mental health to be normalized, for the stigma to be reduced. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say there's been a lot of support from the mental health lawyer community. I mean, yes, I have had mental health lawyers on the podcast, but I think more, they obviously advocate in a different way. Right. which I, I obviously advocate in that way as well for my clients, but I also advocate ad, advocate in another sense by doing the, the, the podcast and holding global events and being on panels to raise awareness of mental health. And I think that has just come from me and my desire to do that, to raise awareness of mental health. Okay. I... I think uh, there is something that I just want to, to, to ask you because I think this is this going back to your own journey. Uh, I think there is this misconception sometimes or well, people like you, for example, you introduce yourself, you say the, uh, uh, the well, you share with us the, the illnesses or, or what you did your journey at the beginning. Right. And I think some people think that it's a chapter that opens and then closes and then you continue with the rest of your life. Although I have been discovering more and more that this is not the case and, and you keep you need to keep living with this all your life. Could you tell us more a little that and and I guess the clients that you have impact you in certain way because they I for association or for any way, maybe they come back to what you experience, right? So how yeah. do you do yourself to control this this yeah, the situation um, in your mind? That that is a very good question because my my tolerance varies on a day-to-day -day basis sometimes i can tolerate a lot from from clients um i i, I always remember a, a few years ago when i went to see a psychologist 
because I was I was struggling, uh, I, I, I just couldn't cope. And the psychologist gave me coping techniques, which I've taken through to this day and will take beyond that in terms of how to manage the anxiety, how to manage the stresses. So there's obviously breathing techniques. There's breaking stuff down into more sizable chunks. Um, and, and, and I get nervous and anxious before the most stupidest of things in my mind. So, for instance, before I go into a mental health tribunal, I've done got to be 500 beforehand, yet I still get anxious and nervous before <laughs> eight out of ten of them. Yet I know what's coming. I know the process. I know the procedure. But it's still there. And it's there up until the moment I open my mouth and start talking in a hearing, then it dissipates. It's like, for instance, before coming on here, I was in a global event that I'd obviously arranged. Before then, you, you start to stress, you start to get anxious. All kind of thoughts go through your mind. Is it going to go well? Are people going to like it? Is there going to be enough participation? Is there going to be enough interaction? Trying to keep those in check you end up just having to shut down and then it's just professional face comes on and you you kind of have to change. So, for instance, when I'm doing my work for my mental health clients, that's the lawyer face. When I come home from work, that's the me face. You're constantly changing not not necessarily personalities but you're changing caps you're changing faces to suit that particular moment um so yeah i mean in in, in terms of managing it it's breaking things down into sizable chunks it's obviously doing mm. breathing exercises before you go into large events i mean b before this one i was fine um, I'll probably be hyperventilating before the game later tonight. That's just, <laughs> that's, that's just my own fault. Um, but it's 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 learning to to stay to take a step back and breathe and just say to yourself, "This is going to go fine. Don't worry about it," and calm yourself, and also break things down into smaller chunks that they're easier to manage and and like you said mario it's not a case of the chapters open and shut the chapters ongoing it never stops mm. you just learn how to manage it and deal with it on a day-to-day -day basis and if some days just getting up out of bed that can be good good enough it it it, it, it really varies it it just De depends really and I've, I've obviously now I'm in a far better place than I was back then but that's because I've learned how to manage it and I've used everything that I've learned everything that I've spoke to the psychologist about to put that into practice mm. right right so th there is one thing uh, that I just that I also want to mention here that I find is very interesting which is that uh, for all of these kind of things or, or for this situation that you have in your own mind, there must come a moment when you need to accept it, right? When you need to say, okay, 
okay, this is this is something that I need to face, or, or you know, you cannot be always uh, um, evading it by playing video games, you know, drinking, smoke, I don't know, whatever. You need to accept it. So could you tell us a little more about how was your, you know, that moment when you were like, okay, I need to seek professional help? Because at the end, I think, I think everything summarizes into that a little because it's not common for people to, to look for, for uh, uh, you know, professional help. Um, even people that seem that don't have any problems, mm. um, they, they will be like, yeah, well, I don't need to go to a psychologist. Whereas what I think is that everybody should, maybe not on a daily basis or on a weekly, but once per month you may need that, right? So how can you say, or what, what can you say that that moment, how can someone identify that moment? It's a tough it's, question. I, I was just gonna add to that question, Marv. Sorry, Steve. That this yeah, is the course. thing, like, there's a lot of people out there who might think, I mean, anxiety is something that we all experience, right? So for example, these fast thoughts and you're anxious and et cetera. So we all kind of relate to that, but it's the point where, where might we need professional help when, I mean, a lot of people might, you know, uh, do well with professional help already from the beginning without having, you know, chronic anxiety, <clears throat> blown panic attack. But I guess it's like where, as you said, Mario, at what point might we need to start taking our mental health seriously and maybe get some help. I think each each individual will will have their own, I guess, tipping point as to when they feel right. Enough's enough, I need to get help. Mine, <clears throat> I think it was obviously when I was having thoughts when I was driving into work and I thought, right, I don't want to go to work. Let's just crash the car which is an extreme thing i mean there are other ways that you can get out of work um like there sick. are other ways could have been easier <laughs> yeah yeah or another way if you didn't do your homework you can always say that the dog ate it that's always yeah. a common one um so i think then was when i felt i need professional help but it, it was i needed to hear it from a professional so my parents were saying to me look this is this is what you need to do you'll you'll be fine don't worry about it just take things step by step but because it was the my parents you think well they they're gonna say that because i'm their son they're gonna yeah. say that's what so do they I know need... <laughs> yeah yeah so that that's why i thought i need to hear it from a professional someone independent who's a professional uh, and then when, when I went back home and said what the psychologist had said to me parents quite rightly said well we told you that it's like yeah you did but I need to hear it from a professional who's got a degree in psychology who knows what they're talking about um, and then <clears throat> when you hear it from a professional you kind of that that is an unbiased viewpoint they know nothing about you they just sit down with you and they talk to you about a variety of things and you i i opened up quite quickly 
with a psychologist. I, I know some people won't do. They'll, they'll be very cautious and they would just tell a psychologist what they think the psychologist wants to hear. Um, they might hyperventilate before seeing a psychologist, like you before the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think it's each to their own. Some people won't benefit from support from a psychologist. I thankfully did and I took on board all of those techniques and now I use them on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but I think each individual's tipping point is probably very different and it's very personal to them in where they flick the switch and think, hang on a minute, if I carry on going down this road, it's not going to end well. I need to change my direction. Right. The first uh, step is good to seek professional help. I mean, that is uh, usually a very good call. But what would you say is uh, was, a, was a, a success factor, you could say, because it seems like uh, the health professional and the psychologist have has given you some good tools to, I mean, as well as you by yourself, probably you get to know yourself, but has contributed to your toolbox how to manage your anxiety. What would you say... I mean, for you, obviously, it's individual. Was a success factor, you know, with your psychologist? Was it that to find a person that you trust? Is it important? Um, yeah. What are those like? What would you say was a good, good, the good therapy, the good thing that came out from your therapy? I think the the good thing was is when I initially started seeing the the psychologist. We, we got on really well and it just clicked, which, which, which helps. It helps when you talk to someone who understands the situation that you're in. And the fact that she understood. Oh, Steve, where are you? <laughs> this, this was quite interesting. There he is. Seen... Oh, there you go. Welcome back. Your, your mic is off. Your mic is still off. I'm there on now. There we go. You left um, us in a cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what comes next? Um, uh, what did what what was the last thing I said? They were saying that uh, you will uh, uh, you will understand the moment where you. Uh, no, that's no. the point. You were saying. Finding a person who understands you and, and yeah, clips yeah. with the psychologist is important. Mm. So I think as soon as you click with someone and they understand your situation, I think that is very important. Um, and then obviously taking on board those uh, so this is techniques has obviously helped me learn to, to cope with it. But I, I think the main positive was how quickly we clicked and how quick she understood my predicament. Mm -hmm. So this is very interesting because, um, you know, you're saying then that you need to look for the help, but you also need to click with the person. You, you, you need to feel, uh, 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 you know, uh, um, you need to trust this person. And I think that's 
a little complicated, right? So what I'm trying to, what I'm listening here right now is that you need to try different people before you feel comfortable. And it can be your first one, that's fine. Uh, yeah. But then you you need to, because I think this is something that uh, people that have tried to get to some certain help have found out that maybe they don't click with the first person and they say, well, I tried therapy and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. But then you're telling me that it's it's a matter the the human factor is also needs to be uh, needs to be part into weighted into the equation right so if it doesn't work at the beginning you need to continue and that's something that I think I mean if it's really difficult to find people uh, accepting that, that that it's okay to go to a therapist it's even more difficult to tell this person well maybe you didn't click with that one right yeah 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 this isn't a letdown and, you can say it's, yeah I guess that's the exhausting part right to find the right person for you because obviously you can change you don't have to stay with the same person if you don't feel that if you don't feel that non-judgmental uh you know atmosphere then definitely but Mm -hmm. yeah jumping from one to another it's hard isn't it isn't it more difficult and this this again is another stereotype isn't it more difficult for men to seek support than women because men men won't open up will they as as much so if you um advertise therapy to a woman in the normal form a woman is more likely to go than a man because the man is thinking well what am i going to get out of this now, if you advertise it to a man, come and do a half hour, 45 minute boxing session, then sit down with me and have a chat. You'll probably get a few men going because they know that they've gone and they've done something to contribute, i.e. boxing, doing exercise. And then they will probably feel more comfortable talking with that group of guys once that session is finished. Because so they bonded. Exactly. And it, it would be a more constructive session. So it's, I think it's about how you advertise it to men if you want more men to participate in therapy, because the same tools used to advertise therapy for women won't work. Yeah. You would have to be more creative in how you advertise it. And then you look at sectors like yours and mine, Mario. Could could you imagine either a lawyer or someone in the finance banking sector going to a therapist if it was advertised the way that it's advertised towards women? Oh, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. De- yeah, definitely not. Yeah, I uh, um yeah in my I mean at least what I have what I remember from the past in my other you know my other jobs and the current that I have there is always a twenty four seven line that you can call. Um, always uh, for for you know the people working, but it's barely used by men. Yeah. So so um, I agree with that, and I think that that takes me to the next question that I wanted to 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 ask you in terms of a little more in your profession than in your journey. But it, I think is you know, but um, do you see? I really have no idea, or or I really don't know very well how how a mental health lawyer works i understand that the cases are related to mental health and there must be like basically and excuse me for the example but like britney you know 
<laughs> the situation with Britney, it's being handled by a mental health lawyer. Is that is that an accurate an accurate perspective that I have? Um, so I think the Britney case is a one-off. Um, you you won't get many cases like Britney because that is a really weird conservatorship that she's under. She's deemed not to have capacity, yet she's been going on tour. She was on tour in Vegas for the longest amount of time and got in $150 million. You tell me how someone with no capacity can agree to a multi-million pound deal in Vegas like that. Yeah. It, it just would it just wouldn't happen. It's it's mm. it's more the father wanting ultimate control over her daughter is how old is Brittany is she coming up to 40 now yeah something like that yeah it's close, she's, she's close to 40 uh, but then I mean not, not to talk about Brittany but then yeah, this is the this is the type of cases then the cases when when the person maybe it's you know since, since Brittany I mean due to this conservatorship it, it, it's due to her mental health I guess they are pointing towards you're not capable to take care of yourself to take care of your fortune you know yeah because I mean, of your mental health is i mean not well yeah um, the the majority of the cases that that i have are people who are detained on a section of the mental health act because they are deemed to have a mental illness and that they are deemed to be a risk to either their own health, safety or to other people. <clears throat> when we get involved is when that individual thinks, hang on a minute, I don't agree with this, I want to appeal it. They make an application, solicitor gets on board, represents the patient at the tribunal hearing and argues for their case to be discharged. Now, in terms of a tribunal hearing, you're probably thinking that we, we go to court and we wear all the fancy robes and we, <laughs> no, we, we go to them. So we go to the hospital, the judge goes to the hospital, the oh. whole tribunal goes to the hospital. Um, and then the individual has the option to either attend their tribunal and they can give evidence at the start, at the end, they can stay and listen to what the professionals have to say about them. Um, so it's it's still a court hearing, but it's not held in a courtroom because we all go to the patient or now it's done over video link. Right, right. Okay. Um, I, I just, uh, sorry, I'm jumping, no, I'm jumping from your, um, from your work to, I'm, I'm, I want to kind of, uh, I have thoughts around this male mental health and um, I mean, uh, as a male, when you realize that you're not doing well, how, what kind of thoughts went through your mind or was it hard for you to accept that you might need help? Uh, you know, because I guess that is the not only stereotype, it's the reality that more men are more prone to not want to seek help. 
if they are not feeling well they might speak to their friends you know i guess that is the you know when you're not feeling well you speak to your friends which is great but at some point you might need professional help which is not as common so you as a male steve <laughs> how did you feel you know if just before um getting help um you feel that it's that it's not easy and you you don't know who you can talk to so e even if you talk to your friends you're not going to tell them the truth yeah mm -hmm. you're going to you're going to tell them what they want to hear so if someone asks you are you okay you'll say yeah i'm good thanks you won't go I'm into fine. the whole story yeah yeah um it and then when you do tell someone that you're struggling and that you need help you then worry about how that's going to be received mm -hmm. so if you tell your friends the truth you worry that they're going to abandon you they're not going to want to be your friend anymore and they're not going to want to associate with you anymore um yeah, I, I I just feel it's it's really really hard for men to open up because of the stereotypes that are in place that shouldn't be there. So, for instance, one is that men shouldn't cry. Yeah. I mean, uh, why? Unless it's for sports. <laughs> yeah. I think in sports, you guys are getting out all the suppressed yeah. emotions and screaming and like, because in I mean friends. no 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 but I mean yeah. <laughs> I think it's healthy honestly sport is a form of therapy I mean I've got a season ticket for my local football club and I literally go I shout I scream <laughs> I love it because that is the one day of the week that you're not a professional, you are just an ordinary guy going to support a bang average football team. And you know Slightly that, loony. That, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean everyone going crazy. But, yeah, yeah you, you can let yourself go in the emotions, like the extreme highs that football brings you and the extreme lows that football brings you. And sport can be a form of therapy. I mean, the amount of people at the Euros that I have seen crying, be it tears of sadness or tears of joy. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. It's, it's a type of catharsis, let's say that. But, but the thing is that, I mean, and, and I know it was funny, right? But that in, in, in my, my, the, the, my, my comment was more in the fact that no one, no one bats an eye with a man crying in the stadium. But if you see that happening somewhere else, I mean, it's, it, it, it immediately becomes awkward. It becomes uh, cringy. It becomes, I mean, it, I mean, it's not necessarily the best, the best sight, right? But it's completely different than seeing a woman crying in, in public, yeah. right? I mean, it's uh, cringy for that, most of us as well, you know? Like, yes, but my, my crying, point is but that- Yeah, definitely. It's not that common and it's not that acceptable. Yeah. And that's the quote marks, right? But acceptable. And, and I'm not saying that, that everybody should start crying in public. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, 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 I guess what, I, what, what I'm trying to go to is just to say that 
probably this has been a, a, a conception that has been throughout times. And in my, in my mind, my question to you, Steve, is do you see this same, um, not stereotype, but this, this archetype or well, stereotype of what it is reflected in your own job, in your own area of work? I know you said yes already, but is it, mm -hmm. is it as bad as you can think? Because I mean, in my area, it is. That there is no such, there is nothing as mental health for banking. There's not such. So, so it's 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 banking is banking, and it has one type yeah. of stereotypes, and whomever doesn't have it is gonna suffer, literally, right? So, is the yeah. same in you? And what do you think we could do? I mean, this is a big if. What do you think we could do to 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 make this, you know, not more acceptable, but to 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 make people accept more their emotions or accept more that that you know you can be vulnerable i know it's a I big mean, question but yeah no no i mean the short answer is yes the legal profession does have that stereotypes it is even in your branch yeah yeah so it's very exclusive towards mental health rather than inclusive of it so as far as i'm aware there's not a support line that we can call to get support if we're suffering with our own mental health. Um, That's ironic, isn't it? In a way, yeah, mental yeah. health lawyer doesn't have that support yeah. for their mental health, yeah. We, we don't have support for our mental health. So rightly or wrongly, a lot of mental health lawyers have a very dark, wicked sense of humor about things mm -hmm. because it keeps us sane effectively um it's it's a very isolative job so we literally live in our cars we drive from hospital to hospital to hospital you're very rarely in the office because you're constantly on the go so you're constantly either talking to someone else about their thoughts or you could be having a conversation with the two of you but there's a third person in the room who your client can see but i can't Um, and when you're driving from place to place, you're then, you, you've then got your own thoughts to deal with yeah. when you're going from one place to the other to the other. Um, so there isn't a lot of support out there for mental health lawyers. How can we improve this? I mean, I think just in general within the legal profession, we need to start being more inclusive of mental health within that field. We need to start bridging the gap between senior management, HR, and the employees, because there is such a gap be, be, between employee, management, HR. Nothing's in between. So maybe we could have mental health first aiders, or we could have experts by experience, or we could create um, mentally healthy workspaces within a workplace environment that people can can go to and chill out and discuss their problems they would be good steps forward and i think men would use them um particularly if they're i don't know for instance you could have a sport themed room whereby you play table tennis or you just kick a football men would 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 go there play it, interact, and they will probably find better because once they've developed that bond with someone, they will feel more comfortable talking about their mental health. And I think that would be 
the way forward for men because the way you you advertise therapy to a man needs to be creative you need to think outside the box and maybe introducing these things within the workplace um, they might go some way to reducing the gap between management who don't think mental health is an issue to the employees who are suffering but they are too terrified to go to management because they feel that they will be laughed at they will be deemed weak a vulnerability um, uh, vulnerable and then that that could in one way or another lead to them losing their job in an indirect way because they've disclosed they have a mental health condition so i mean and, and another stat, when people are filling out job applications within the legal profession and there's a box that says, do you suffer with a mental health condition? You tick no. Even if you have one, you still tick no. Because if you tick yes, you won't get the job because it will go. Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's the hard thing. Yeah. I'm thinking about, I'm, I find it really interesting with the, that we need to kind of advertise towards men differently for them to seek help. And this, this, this kind of uh, atmosphere bonding, you know, guys in between maybe, you know, it's a good start for them to open up. But then at the same time, there's not, you know, not maybe not all health professionals, but like, oh, <laughs> get a group together and start playing basketball but but you know it's equally important for some as women you know to to maybe come and talk to someone and 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 actually uh go through some therapy session uh uh, and 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 and, you know shape their toolbox uh to start uh taking care of themselves and 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 learn how to handle for example their anxiety because talking is very good but also starting to accept that you are actually going through a lot of uh hard feelings that needs to be managed maybe somehow for you to to operate uh well and to feel well and i want to ask you guys like what kind of like you're in the finance sector mario you're in the in the law like what kind of advertisement for let's say that i'm a health professional what kind of uh, info would kind of get your attention to to really consider maybe i should go to this professional um and talk would there be i mean it's a very hard question but but um yeah like to think differently like mario you and your friends for example your colleagues what i mean yeah. well uh first of all we have uh, not that much time left so i'm going to be as brief as possible and and leave the the, the last right, words yeah. to sip but in my case i will say that the things that unfortunately the things that call most of the attention are the ones that are like the most the ones that are more have more impact right so I, I know that because I have announced this kind of stuff in a, in a slow way or in a passive way, and no one is interested. But if you say, you know, if you put some example, a big sample, like, um, yeah, if you go to mental health, you will probably not, uh, you will probably not uh, commit suicide. Strong words, something that 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 impactful. 
will be the only way to to, to look at at it. I would say, uh, someone that's affected by that. But what what's your word on there, Steve? No, I, I completely agree. I think adverts need to be similar, like the cigarette adverts when they put on the package what a cigarette does to your lungs, because I think blokes will look at that and think, oh, that's what's going to happen to me. Maybe I should stop or just wear a nicotine patch and gradually get off it. I think the, the messaging needs to be like that in order to get a, a bloke to stand up and take, and take notice, really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also, of course, these kind of events, you know, you guys talking about yep. your mental well-being, it doesn't have to be literally an ad that you put in the hallway. Uh, these kind of events and these kind of conversation obviously will maybe inspire people to and guys to seek help. I hope so. Yeah. Yes, I, I hope that that works as well. Um, we are out of time. So I just want to say, Steve, any final remarks that you would like to, to, to give us here before we leave the word to Jasmine to close the event? Um, no, it, it's been a very informative, very good webinar. And I just hope more males will start to open up about their mental health because they're, they are not alone. They, they can talk to someone about their mental health. Thank you so much, Steve. All right. Thank you so much, Steve, for being a guest on our show and sharing your inspiring story with us. And we're having all these uh, interesting conversations. It's been a pleasure. Um, to you who have been watching this episode, we, uh, I'm not sure, Mario, about the, uh, about the feedback that Sini was going to post in the chat. Maybe we'll do that in the, in the event. Might be able to yeah, post. let's do that in the event. I think it will be better. So if you guys have time to maybe answer just a few questions and give feedback on this webinar, uh, it would be amazing for us. Uh, so we're going to post a link on uh, the event and you can just click on that and uh, yeah, uh, give us some, some feedback. 